message is about God leading you when you make decisions. When you make decisions. You make a lot of decisions in life. I don't know how many decisions you made. One of them was you were going to get up and come to church today, or you're going to turn on, turn on you know, Facebook and, and uh, watch you know, the message. But you, you made a decision, it was a good one, by the way, um, to, to come to church. But we make a lot of decisions, and I wonder, are they all godly decisions? I mean, wouldn't it be nice to make a lot of godly decisions in your life? Where you know if, I mean, let's face it, godly decisions always turn out good. You, you never, I mean, in the end, godly decisions always turn out good. Um, have you ever made a bad decision before? <laughs> wow, that was unanimous. <laughs> Uh, in my first five years of, of the work, working world after college, I got a job as an engineer. Uh, that's my degree originally. Um, I clearly can't make up my mind uh, after all these years. But now I think God has made it up for me. I think this is, this is it. Uh, final career. Um, but I was an engineer. I was in sales. And as a young 20-year-old, I made a lot of money in sales. I got hooked into a company that you know, all the guys in the company in sales made well into six, you know, six, we did very well for ourselves. So here I am, a young guy, I'm making a lot of money, and uh, we had 401ks, and we put a lot of money into you know, retirement, which is a great decision, by the way, that's a godly decision to save up for retirement. How many of you are there, and you're like, yeah, I wish I would have saved more earlier? You know, that is a wise decision, because the earlier you do it, it's just math, the, the more time you have it, for it to grow, right, it's, it's going to grow. And so I, I put in there some, some, a good chunk of money as a young 20-year-old, but then somebody told me that, you know, you could um, invest that, you could, you could pick what you want to invest in. And so I thought that, that I was going to be really smart and I was going to invest, in, and I started doing some day trading and some options trading, stuff I didn't know anything about. Foolish. Foolish. And then the um, dot-com bubble burst in 2000. Uh, you might have remembered looking at your 401k go like this. Uh, mine just disappeared <laughs> um, because of my foolishness, um, trying to time the market and such. And I wasn't a Christian at that time, and so I didn't even know how to make a godly decision. I didn't know about James 1.5. You know about James 1.5? James wrote in chapter 1, verse 5, I think you'll see it up on the screen here, if any of you lacks wisdom, yeah, that was me, <laughs> if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. I needed wisdom. I didn't have it. I didn't make a godly decision with my money that, 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 I, that God basically allowed me to make. I'm sure you have other examples of bad decisions, but what's worse is that feeling you get when you make a bad decision. Am I right? You know that feeling you get? And then the consequences that you have to suffer through because of that bad decision that you made? Um, anyone here with me, or am I just of all by myself? Okay, yeah. All right. Well, if you want to make good decisions, you want to make godly decisions, I'm here to help you today. Aren't you glad you came? Yes. And here's the best part. When you make the godly decision, it's win-win. It really is. You are blessed when you make a godly decision 
and God is honored. Think about it. It's win-win. So our goal as Christians is to make godly decisions because you're blessed and God is honored. It's like when my son holds the door open for a stranger. Like, he feels good about it because they say, oh, thank you, young man. And I feel honored because I taught him to do that. That's our Father in heaven. He's honored when we do good, when we make godly decisions. I do want to warn you up front, though. Sometimes when you make a godly decision, it doesn't always bless you immediately. In fact, sometimes a godly decision could first lead to suffering. And I don't know if you grew up or maybe you've been to a church before where they tell you every time you do something for God, he's going to bless you and bless you and bless you. Well, sometimes, as Psalm 23 tells us, you've got to go through the valley of the shadow of death before you get to the higher ground. But we have a good shepherd that carry us, carries us through that, and we have the Holy Spirit to trust to help us make godly decisions. Amen? Amen. Let's pray as we dive into the Word. Father, thank you for for the time that we have today to set aside all the distractions that are going on in this world, all the things that are floating in our mind right now that want to pull us from what's most important, and that is worshiping you through your Word. Through, 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 the, through the message, through the song, through our tithes and offerings, through everything we do today. Let us just hear you. Let us worship you. Let us dial in and focus into you and what you have for us today. God, let this time be a blessing. In Jesus' name. The church said? Amen. Amen. So we are in the last days of the life of Jesus, the harmony of the gospel. Been doing this for over a year now. And we're in John 14 and John 16. Um, But before I can kind of even get there, um, I want to kind of lead you there through a story of uh, Abraham. Um, But in the uh, John uh, 16, and actually on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. It's just kind of cool how how God um, has uh, been bringing those two um, things together. If you're looking for uh, more of an intimate kind of a Bible study um, but in a big group uh, where you don't have to talk, you know, you don't have to feel any pressure to talk, but you want to come and you want to pray and you want to um, be taught the word, come on Wednesday nights at 7. It's a great study. Raise your hand if you've been to that before and you, you love it. Keep your hands up if you love it. If you hate it, just don't mind. No, never mind, I don't want to know. <laughs> but in John 16 and 14, Jesus talks about the helper. The helper, the parakletos is the word, the Greek word para meaning come, uh, near, and kletos means call, called near, the one who calls uh, near to us, who dwells in us, comforts us, teaches us, lives in you. The Holy Spirit is the one that is instrumental if you're going to make godly decisions. You need the Holy Spirit. Without him, you can't make a godly decision. But before we get there, it's Abraham. Abraham is um, the patriarch, right? He's the one who who is the father of faith, as we know in Hebrews. And he had a situation in which he made a very godly decision. Maybe it's a decision that um, tormented him. I don't know. It may be a decision that was troubling to him, that was a hard decision to make, because it just didn't seem to make sense. Maybe you've had those kinds of situations before where you're like, this, I, I know God wants me to do this, but I don't get it. 
This is really hard. I don't want to do this. That's Abraham. So if you want to know this story, you want to dive into this, it's in Genesis 22. If you need a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you somewhere. If you would like to take that home, it's yours. We have lots of them. We have um, a, a wonderful man who donates those Bibles. So take one home. They're, they're on the back shelf as well by the welcome table. But in Genesis 22, I'm sorry, I didn't hear any pages turning. I didn't hear any, any fingers scrolling. Uh, we're a, a, a church that teaches the Word. I know, I make, I make it easy for you. I put it up on the screen. I know, I get it. But anyway, if you have your Bible, Genesis 22, Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Um, Abraham lived a very long time without children. Him and his wife, Sarah, had no children. God promised that he would bless Abraham with a child. Promised. And um, the time, it happened in time. Isaac was his name. Isaac was a young boy. Um, when, when God called out to Abraham, I would guess Isaac was in his pre-teens, you know, maybe 10, 11, 12, maybe he was a teenager, but he was a young boy, and in Genesis 22:2, Abraham heard from God. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now, it's an interesting thing that God says here. First of all, that he calls Isaac his only son. Because if you know the backstory, it's not his only son, is it? No, you see, Sarah, his wife, grew impatient. God made a promise, but it took years for that promise to be fulfilled. And in that, in, in that time frame... She grew impatient, and she said, here's my maidservant. You need to have a child with her so that I am not, you know, left like this, this barren woman. I, I'm, I, it shows how imperfect she is, and Abraham is, but yet God still delights in using them. Are you imperfect? Perfect! God's going to use you! That's what I get from that. God's only uh, son, he calls him your only son because really Isaac is the son that was promised. He's the only son. So God tells him, take your son, by the way it says, whom you love. You're going to find out that this is a test of Abraham's love. Who does he love more? Take your son and sacrifice him. Which is not something God would ever condone or or. or, or or um, allow because the, the nations nearby who worshipped false gods, they sacrificed humans, babies. But not God. God detests that. So it's a really strange command. Would you agree? It's really strange. Imagine what went on in Abraham's head. He's, he's thinking about this like, wait a minute. This doesn't make sense. This is, this is what, I wouldn't do this. Why, why are you telling me to do this? But he had to decide. He had to make a decision. He could have ran away like Jonah would. He could have ignored God. But instead he goes. He obeys. And so he's making the godly decision. Honestly, I think that's where most people fail when it comes to making godly decisions. They just reason in their mind that they think 
they know what's best. Because they hear from God, and they know what God is telling them to do, but they say, nah, I think I know better than you, God. If you find yourself coming up with a better plan than God's plan, maybe you ought to flip, back or flip ahead to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 and sit on those verses for a little bit. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Sit on that for a little while. Chew on that for a little while. Make it your daily prayer if you're having trouble honoring God and obeying God with the decision. Well, Abraham obeyed, took his son, went on this journey, and it says they were close to the place that they were going to do the sacrifice. By now, Isaac has kind of figured some things out here. Something's missing. Verse 7. Isaac says to his father Abraham, Father, Abraham says, here I am, son. Behold, I see fire, I see wood, I don't see a lamb for the offering. And in verse 8, Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Now, I don't think he said it the way I just said it. I think he said it pretty choked up, with tears in his eyes. Because he knew what God was telling him to do. And he didn't really want to do it. But they got to the place, and Abraham tied up his son. Now... The jig is up, right? I mean, Isaac knows what's going on. But he ties up his only promised son. And he takes a knife to kill his son because that was the godly decision. You say, well, wait a minute. How is that godly to do that, to kill your only son? It was godly because it showed his trust in God, his faith in God. And if you read the New Testament, you'll know that they speak of Abraham. In Hebrews 11, Abraham considered God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did do that. And James, who's the guy who talks about faith without action, is dead faith. He says that Abraham was justified by his faith-filled actions. So Abraham makes this godly decision that doesn't make any sense to him But he obeys God. And just before he's about to do the deed, an angel from heaven speaks. Stop! You don't have to kill your son. You've passed the test. You've proven you love God more than you love your only son. Because that's what it was all about. That's what it was. Whom do you love more, Abraham? Your son or me? And then it says Abraham looks up and he sees a ram lamb caught in a thicket. But I'm kind of thinking that Isaac saw it first. (laughs) Dad, look! Lamb! Go kill that! (laughs) Not me! And there was a lamb there. And Abraham gladly sacrificed that lamb. And he and Isaac worshipped God on that mountain together, father and son. And they called God Jehovah-Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. Because he did. See, Abraham shows us how to make a godly decision. 
even when it's not an easy decision, even when you don't quite get it, but you want to obey God, you want to trust Him, and when you do, you're going to be blessed. And then, that's what we see next. Abraham is blessed. The angel spoke a second time, verse 17. I will surely bless you, Abraham. Everybody wants God's blessings. I doubt there's a person in this room today that doesn't want God's blessings. But it comes from obedience to God. It comes from honoring God, from listening to God, trusting Him, and following Him. I will surely bless you, Abraham. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, just as I promised you before, as the sand that's on the seashore. But here's the question that I have for us today. What if Abraham followed his heart? What if Abraham followed his heart? Would he have been blessed? And the answer is no. No. You know the world we live in is infatuated with following its heart. Follow your heart. Hollywood movies and television drill this into your thinking. Follow your heart. You like rom-coms? That means romantic comedy. Took me a minute the first time. It's all about follow your heart. Follow your heart. Do what makes you happy. That's what I think of that. <laughs> this is stinking thinking, and it's in most Christians' heads. And I want to tell you, I like rom-coms. I'm a romantic. I'm a lover, not a fighter, as they say. I like that stuff. But it's not biblical. It's not. God never says, follow your heart. He says, follow my heart. Don't follow your heart. But I would guess about 8 out of 10 Christians follow their hearts instead of God's voice. And I have no idea if that statistic is on target or not, but I think it is. I think there's too many Christians that are still following their heart when they should be following God's voice. And here's what I really desperately hope you hear this morning. If you follow your heart, if you make your decisions by following your heart, you're headed for trouble, and you're going to miss out on God's blessings. You really are. Pastor Tim Keller, a wonderful, godly man that knows the Word, a phenomenal reader. I love listening to him. He shared this a little while ago. He's a bit older than me, so I can't say that I was around in 1964 when Barry Goldwater was the presidential candidate. Uh, you don't have to age yourself, but you might remember that. And if you do, who did he lose to? Anybody know their history? Barry Goldwater lost to LBJ. He lost to LBJ. So here's the thing. Goldwater's campaign slogan. Presidential slogans are, I guess, memorable for years to come. Well, his slogan was this. In your heart you know he's right. In your heart, you know he's right. That was his presidential slogan. And honestly, that probably appealed to a lot of people because people love to follow their heart. And he thought they probably will vote with their heart. In your heart, 
you know he's right. That was a saying. And Tim Keller remembered a counter to that slogan, in my guts, I know he's nuts. <laughs> Woody Allen had an affair many years ago. Woody Allen had an affair with his adopted daughter, which is really gross when you think about it. But do you know why? Do you know what his reasoning was for having an affair with his adopted daughter? He said the heart wants what it wants. And he followed his heart. And that's what it led him to. The Bible talks about the human heart of sinful man. The human heart of sinful man. Jeremiah 17.9. I know you know these verses, but I'll bring them up here so you can see them. Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jesus said this about the heart. Out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Evil actions come out of our hearts. And the heart wants what it wants. Couldn't be... Couldn't be any truer. But it doesn't usually want what God wants. Isaiah said in 55.8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. You've probably heard this expression, love is blind. And we usually say that because the person is blind to the person they're in love with's faults. But I would tell you that love is blind for our own faults, our own biased heart. You probably think everything you, you, in your heart is, is good, not, maybe not everything, maybe you know there you got some stuff there that you're not letting anybody else see in the deepest, darkest secrets of your heart, but you think for the most part that your, your heart's good and true and pure. Well, I got a suggestion for you. Let God open you up like a skilled heart surgeon. God can do that, by the way. He tells us in Hebrews 4, 12, and 13 that he can open up your heart. He can fillet it. It says it right here, for the word of God is living and active. That's how God opens up your heart, the word of God. When you read your Bible, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces to the division of soul and spirit and of marrow. And here's the part that you can't miss. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of your heart. God's word opens up your heart. And nobody, I don't care who you are, nobody, no creature is hidden from the sight. We're all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now you might be thinking, okay, so God, when I read the Bible, what, God's going to open up my heart, and he's going to get in there, and he's going to see some stuff that I don't really want him to see that I've been hiding from other people, but he's going to do it. He's going to open you up, and, and, and then he's going to torture you. <laughs> Is that what you think the Bible says? Is that what... Some people think that. God's going to... He's going to slam me now. No. Why does God want you to see this? Why does God want to open up your heart? So he can give you a new heart. Ezekiel 11, verse 19. I will give them one heart, a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone 
from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh so they may walk in my statues, keep my rules, and obey them. And they will be my people, and I will be their God. I would say King David speaks for us all when he said in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We all want a clean heart, don't we? A pure heart. You can't make it happen on your own. That's the the bad news. But I don't think that you're here trying to do that. I think you're here saying, okay, I hear you. God can do it. And that's exactly what he does, and that's exactly what Jesus explains in John 14 and 16. If you want a new heart, a clean heart, a pure heart, then you need my Holy Spirit. Think about the songs that you sang this morning. They were intentional. You need the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this in John 14. I will ask the Father, he will give you a helper and to be with you forever. The parakletos, called near. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot receive it. It neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he will dwell with you, and he will be in you. This is your new heart, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Because only then, only then, you can know God's will. And you can have his heart. And you can have the mind of Christ. As we see, as you read throughout the New Testament, you see that the Holy Spirit allows you to think like God, allows you to act like God. You're made in His image, but you've got a long ways to go. The road to success is always under construction, just like Michigan's roads. <laughs> but because you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you can make godly decisions. John 16, 13. The Spirit of truth. That's who lives in you. The Spirit of truth. When you are a genuine, born-again Christian with a new heart, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes. He guides you into all truth. He will not speak on His own authority. He he only speaks what God says, what, what He declares to you, the things that are to come. So, how do you make your current decisions? How do you make your current decisions? We all make decisions a little differently, I think. But if you're making your decisions with your knowledge only, you watch the news, you read the articles, maybe you ask others, and you don't make your decisions with the spirit of truth, then you're not making godly decisions. You might think you are because you're using this and, you know, us intellectuals, as we would like to call ourselves, think that we're really smart. But if you want wisdom, you want real smart, you need the Holy Spirit. You need the Spirit of truth. I'll give you an example because this has caused a lot of division with Christians. The vaccine. Uh, the government decided a while back, that the vaccine was going to be mandatory for certain employees and certain businesses. And I had several people come to me, come to church, because of this. 
Because for them, this was a huge decision. For some that didn't want the vaccine, but they were feeling forced to take it or to have it. And, and, and if they didn't, they would lose their job, they could lose their pensions, they could lose their health insurance. And there are some that they weren't at risk of losing their job, but maybe they were skeptical of the new technology and they were asking, well, what do I do? And maybe you got the vaccine and you're still wondering, did I make the right decision? Again, I use this as an example because it's divided Christians and I, I, just, want, I just wonder, did you make your decision before or after you heard from God? And I'm not trying to beat you up here. I hope, I'm, I hope, I hope you, you, you feel good about it after I ask you these questions. But did you pray and did you ask God to reveal the best decision for you? Because it's not a one-size-fits-all decision. I know that the, that the news would tell you that. But it's not. But did God tell you yes or did God tell you no? Did the Spirit of truth reveal to you what is best for you? Well, if so, then when it comes to that, it's a godly decision. If you were a Christian 20 years ago, you might remember wearing a bracelet that had these four letters on it. How many of you had a bracelet or a t-shirt with that? WWJD, yeah. And it stands for What Would Jesus Do? Right? And it's, it's good, good intentions. But it often turns into something else. And it turns into this, which I have a new acronym for us. W-D-I-R-W-T-D. And that stands for, what do I really want to do? <laughs> I'm no marketing specialist, but I don't think that's going to work on a bracelet. But honestly, that's what it became. What do I really want to do? In, in, instead of, what would Jesus do? As Christians, if you want to make the godly decision, you kind of need to ask yourself, what did Jesus do? Rather than speculate, what did he do when he had to make a godly decision? And if you want to make them, you've got to follow Jesus. If you say you're a Jesus follower, you kind of need to see what Jesus did, which is why we've been going through the harmony of the gospel, so we can see the life of Jesus. So what did, God, what did Jesus do? Well, whenever he had to make a decision, he always started with prayer. Absolutely. He was in prayer. He prayed before he chose the 12 disciples. He prayed before he would heal or, or feed the thousands. He prayed in the garden before he had to make the biggest decision, which was to die for us. And he prayed in the garden, Luke twenty two forty two. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, not my plan, but your plan. Yours be done. He prayed. Always. First. He trusted God. And he obeyed God. Think about that prayer in the garden. He knew the whole plan. He knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to suffer before he died. But yet, he obeyed God. He went through with it. And that was the godly decision. You will have lots of decisions to make. Lots. But will you make the godly decision? If you follow your heart, you probably won't. 
and you're going to miss out on God's blessings. But if you follow his spirit, which is what it teaches us in John 16, 13, the spirit of truth, and if you follow his word, which is what Jesus did, then you're going to make godly decisions. Now there's something that I'll probably share with you uh, in an email as a follow-up to this message, but I'm going to take you through how you should make godly decisions. What, what would it look like if you had to make a godly decision? So maybe you got something on your mind right now. you got to make a decision. You know, it could be, could be anything. could be, um, you know, what job you're going to take next, where you're going to live, who you're going to date or marry. There's lots of decisions that you might have to make. Big ones, little ones. Here's what you need to do. Here's what the Word tells us to do. Here's what Jesus did. First of all, Pray for wisdom. James 1.5. Pray for wisdom. Your godly wisdom. You need godly wisdom in making decisions. Secondly, dive into his word. Psalm 119, a very long psalm. Way down in verse 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's God's word. It, it, it shows you the way. God's Word. So you've got to dive into His Word. If you're going to make a godly decision, you've got to be in the Word. It's amazing how it happens. I know you've experienced, some of you experienced this before. You're reading the Bible. You could be on a Bible reading plan, or you could have just randomly done the old, open it up, <laughs> and do there, and start there. But when you read God's Word, He speaks. Because the Word of God is living and active. All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training you for every good work. So dive into the Word and listen, because that's God's voice. The Word of God, the Bible, is His voice. Dive into it. Keep reading it. Don't do it once, and if you don't get what you want to hear, Okay, you, you can't go into that. I was listening to a really good Bible teacher, and that was his premise. He was he was talking about a very controversial subject in Christianity, and, and his point was is that if you come into anything with a preconceived notion, uh, you've already made up your mind based on your own experience or whatever, then the Bible can't teach you anything. God can't, he can't do anything. You've got to let the Bible guide you. You've got to let God's Word help you make your decision. And I would say that when it comes to your theology, the things that you believe, you've got to let God's word do that for you. You can't let your, your, you know, something that happened to you, which is what most people do. All this happened to me, so I don't believe this. Let God's word help you make decisions in, in, in what you believe. Listen to his spirit that's in you. Because the Holy Spirit reveals truth. And when the Holy Spirit reveals truth and you make a decision or you wait to make the decision, you should have peace. Do you know the passage in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7? Don't be anxious about anything. And whenever you read that, you always laugh, right? Because especially the ones that are the most stressed out. Don't be anxious about anything. Well, that's not exactly what it means, okay? It doesn't say don't be stressed. But it says when you're anxious, 
by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your stress be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You, you, you're praying and you're waiting for peace. Waiting for peace. And then I would say Proverbs 15.22 tells us to seek wise counsel. Seek wise counsel. Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. So when you seek godly counsel, when you have to make a big decision, that's good, that's smart. You should do that. You should also ask some questions that I think are godly questions, like, does this decision right now that I'm about to make, does it require faith? Because Hebrews 11.6 tells us that faith is required to please God. Does this require faith? Am I trusting God here? Does this decision depend on God's strength? Or am I going to do this in my own strength? Because last time I checked, Philippians 4.13 said, we do all things in Christ who strengthens us. Does it require strength? Does this decision bless others? Micah 6.8 tells us that when we do, what is our, our main uh, objective as Christians is to walk humbly with God and serve others. Does it bless others? And does it honor God? Does this decision honor God? Will, will God be glorified in this when I make this decision? Those are questions you can ask yourself and many more along the lines of it. And never, as First Thessalonians 5.17 says, never stop praying. Pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. And if you do all of that, you'll make godly decisions. And when you make godly decisions, you'll be blessed. But if you follow your heart, you're going to get in trouble. But if you follow his spirit, you'll be blessed. Because the Holy Spirit guides you into all truth. Let's pray. Lord, I know that this is important for us to hear. I know you want us to follow you and your will and your Holy Spirit. God, I, I ask that you would Protect us. Protect us from the evil one. As we try to make these decisions, as we, it, it's not easy, God. We see in Abraham's situation, it wasn't easy. But the more we follow you, the, the, more, the easier it's going to be. The easier it's going to be. The more we listen to you, the easier it's going to be for us. So God, I pray. I pray that we would just do that. We would follow you. And um, I thank you, Father. I thank you. In Jesus' name.